0: Acts chapter 4 let's begin reading together at verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. There are people across this globe who do not have this privilege. And we don't ever want to take that for granted. So thank you. Thank you for your presence that we've been able to sense as we've worshiped you, as we've sung your praises, as we fellowship with one another. And now lord i ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching i pray that you strengthen me that you give me clarity of thought and of speech to proclaim your truth today i lift up other life-giving churches and i pray blessing upon them I pray for our loved ones, not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask that you will draw them to a place of repentance so that not one of them will be lost. And Lord, I suspect we all walked into this house today and we all tuned in online with our own unique set of burdens, concerns, requests struggles I don't know what all of them are Lord but you know them and I ask that you will give attention to each one of those things that are on our hearts today and I pray that you will extend the grace of your help to your people right where they need you the most transform us today by the work of your Holy Spirit, break in on us so that we do not leave this service the same way we came to it. I thank you for doing this. I thank you for hearing our prayer. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though, as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. That poem The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost, while not a spiritual or religious work, and certainly not a Christian one, yet its words help to illustrate a most precious and powerful truth that I want to talk about this morning. It's the foundational truth of Solus Christus, Christ alone. The poet begins by saying, Two roads diverged (laughs) that simply means they went in two different directions and by the end of the poem the implication is that not only did they go in two different directions but they ended at different destinations and this is exactly the opposite of what you will hear in our modern culture when the discussion turns to faith and religion. See, the theology of the world system is one of universalism and syncretism. Universalism is the belief that ultimately everybody goes to heaven. God is such a loving God that he wouldn't, couldn't possibly let anybody go to hell. So in his love, he arbitrarily decides that no matter what, everybody gets to go to heaven syncretism isn't so much a belief system as it is an approach to religion in this approach to religion you pick and choose what you like from the various belief systems put them together into your own self-made religion the key is whatever you think is right must be okay because everybody has a right to his or her own opinion You find God your way, I'll find him my way. I mean, it makes sense, right? If everybody's going to heaven anyway, then it doesn't really matter how you get there. It's really kind of an optional thing. All roads lead to the same place. We've even heard the say. it's been said, you know, in in history, all roads lead to Rome. Anybody ever heard that? That's a lie. I lived in a place that was a cul-de-sac Some roads lead to a dead end. Some roads are circular. You can travel that road as long as you want to, and all you'll do is get dizzy. Both universalism and syncretism are a reflection of the attitude that says, let's shape God to fit me, and let's do it my way it's man-centered rather than god-centered it's a do-it-yourself religion where the person is placed in the position of ultimate authority and i want to say this isn't something unique to the 21st century this just this didn't just come on the scene with the uh, creation of the internet and the proliferation of smartphones it's as old as the first man and woman in the garden, where they succumbed to the temptation of the serpent in Genesis chapter three, verses four and five, when he said to the woman, "Ah, you shall not surely die, For God knows that in the day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open, Watch this, and you will be like God." I submit to you today that when the various paths to salvation that are being proposed, are contradictory to each other, they cannot all possibly be correct. There are many names under heaven by which you can find religion, but only one name by which you can find salvation, and it is Solus Christus, Christ alone. This is the message of Peter when he stands before the Sanhedrin in our text. And declares in verse 12 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As the book of Acts opens, it's about 40 days after Jesus has resurrected. The disciples accompanied him to the Mount of Olives and watched as he was taken from their sight back into heaven. With the words of the angel's promise that he would return ringing in their ears, they then obeyed the command of Jesus and returned to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, 120 of them were gathered in an upper room and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. In the midst of the celebration that accompanied that outpouring of the Spirit, Peter stood up and preached to the crowd that had gathered, and 3,000 people were converted and became the beginning of the church. All of that happens in the first two chapters of the book of Acts. Then when chapter 3 opens, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to participate in afternoon prayers. At the gate called Beautiful, they come upon a lame man who is begging alms. The Bible says that this man looked at them expecting to receive something from them. (laughs) Peter told him, we don't have any money, but we can give you something that is better than silver or gold. Then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. He reached down, took the man by the hand, pulled him up. Immediately, the Bible says, the man's feet and ankles were strengthened and with a leap he stood upright. He entered the temple with the disciples walking and leaping and praising God. The people saw him celebrating his miracle and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and beg at the entrance to the temple. The Bible says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter then explained to the people that this man was healed by the power of Jesus and through faith in his name. He took the opportunity to preach another mini-sermon about the need for repentance in order that sins might be washed away. And then times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. While he was preaching, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up. They were upset because the disciples were proclaiming the resurrection. These religious leaders laid hands on Peter and John, put them in jail. The next day, they brought together the rulers and the elders and the scribes. They brought Peter and John out, began to interrogate them, asking by what power or in what name they had performed this miracle. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, began to boldly proclaim the power of the name of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things I could talk about in this story. But today, I want to narrow the focus to just one verse from his message. And I want to focus in on verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. When Peter makes this statement, the first thing I want you to see is that he's talking about an exclusive Savior. And when people hear this, you can anticipate the immediate objection. Oh, oh, wait, Pastor, that's so narrow-minded. Surely there are other religious systems that have valuable insights into living good and valuable and moral lives. And the answer is yes, there are. There are many religions that have good teachings, but what you fail to understand is that living a good moral life is not what ultimately brings you into a right relationship with God. At the end of the day, you cannot say that Jesus was a good man teaching a way to salvation and then claim that there are other paths to salvation that are equally valid. See, Jesus won't let you do that. He makes exclusive claims to being the only way to salvation. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. He says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He said in verse 1 of that chapter that if anyone tries to enter by another way, he is a thief and a robber. He makes a definitive proclamation of exclusivity in John 14 and 6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, either Jesus is correct and he is the only way to salvation or he is wrong and all other religions that proclaim multiple paths are right except the path of following Jesus. Because you see, there's the fallacy. They will say Jesus is a way, but he can't be a way if he says he's the only way. If all roads lead to God, then Jesus is false and has no reliability. Anyone claiming to be a Christian and says that other religions are equally valid is contradicting Jesus and declaring that he is a liar. You cannot affirm that following Jesus is merely a way of salvation, one way among many other possibilities. Two conflicting opposite statements cannot both be true. See, at its core, all sin is against God no matter how many other people may be affected. That's what David is saying in Psalm 51 and 4 when he prays to God in repentance and says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, we could make the case, well, wait a minute, Bathsheba was affected and Uriah the Hittite was affected and the kingdom was affected. Absolutely, but David says, I got it. I understand. At its its core, at, at, at its essence, all sin is against God. Since all sin is against God alone, that means that only God can forgive sins. And I want to tell you, even God's forgiveness does not nullify sin. Although you may receive forgiveness, the debt of sin must be paid. Instead of requiring the Penalty at your hands, God provided the payment in the sacrifice of his only begotten son. That's what it means in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Only Jesus can forgive sin because only Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. That's why Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, Jesus Bore the penalty of your sin in his own body God poured out his wrath against your sin on Jesus on the cross the judgment for your sin was laid to the account of Jesus and nailed to his cross you are forgiven today because the debt was paid the debt of sin was so great only God could pay it so Jesus satisfied the wrath of God by dying on the cross nobody else could to do that I'm told that the last words of the Buddha before his death were keep striving the last words of Jesus before his death on the cross were it is finished I submit to you that Jesus is the only way to salvation because it is Jesus alone who has the credentials the capacity and the capability to save have you ever thought, just, 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 have you ever thought what it might have been like to be sitting off in a corner somewhere while the learned theologians of the day were questioning the 12 year old boy Jesus in the temple? Have you ever thought about that? One of them might have said, Well, tell me, son, how old are you? He could have said, Well, on my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I'm older than my mother and just as old as my father. In fact, before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) On his mother's side, he got thirsty. On his father's side, he was the water of life. On his mother's side, he got hungry. On his father's side, he's the bread of life. On his mother's side, he died in poverty and was homeless or lived in poverty and was homeless. On his father's side, he created the universe and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. On his mother's side, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. On his father's side, he commanded the stone to be rolled back, and he called Lazarus out of the grave back to life. There is no other person
1: who has ever lived that has the credentials of this man. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Gandhi, not Confucius, not the Dalai Lama, not the Pope, not the pastor, not any other religious leader. A religious
0: leader can't forgive sins because he too is in debt to sin. See, only Jesus is co-equal, coexistent with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus is the Word of God by whom all things were made. Only Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. Only Jesus lived a sinless life. Only Jesus died on a cross As the full payment for the penalty of sin. Only Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Only Jesus arose on the morning of the first day of the week, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Only Jesus ascended into heaven. Only Jesus sits
1: at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for the saints. Only Jesus is one day, soon and very soon, returning to this earth in great power and glory. I want to tell you, it is Jesus who is Lord of the church. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the bright and more. Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus is the shelter in the time of storm. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders but has now become the capstone of the building. Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus is the eternal I am. Jesus is alpha and omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Jesus was dead, but now he lives and is alive Forevermore. Jesus has been highly exalted and given a name that is above every name, that at his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is Jesus who loves you enough to die for you. It is Jesus who cares enough about you to keep you from falling and to preserve you blameless until the coming of the Lord. It is Jesus who has given the Holy Spirit to live in you and enable you to overcome and live life is more than a conqueror. I tell you, Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the helper. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the peace speaker. Jesus is the burden bearer. Jesus is the heavy load sharer. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the mender of broken hearts. Jesus is the restorer of shattered dreams. Jesus is comfort in times of grief. Jesus is joy in times of sorrow. Jesus is strength in times of weakness. Jesus is wisdom in times of confusion. Jesus supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory. He bears all your burdens. His word is enough. His grace is secure. Jesus is the only one to say, You are whole. Jesus, no other name you are either saved by Jesus or you are not saved at all Jesus is the exclusive Savior I'm about to preach myself happy hallelujah
0: one more thing I want you to see in this message from Peter in our text. Not only does he talk here about the exclusive Savior, he also talks about the essential salvation. I don't know if you paid much attention when we read it, but there's one little word that just leaps out at me in verse 12. It's the little word must by which we must be saved I know most people don't want anybody telling them what they must do (laughs) (laughs) but I'm here to tell you that your greatest need is not more self-esteem it's not more money not more popularity, your greatest need is to be saved. If you are not saved, your sin will incur the wrath of holy God. If you are not saved, you will be eternally lost. It doesn't matter what part of the world you live you must be saved it doesn't matter what race you are what sex you are what socioeconomic class you are you must be saved you know in the old testament the fundamental difference between the true prophet and the false prophet was that the true prophet proclaimed the day of the Lord as a day of consuming wrath. Now, the people didn't want to hear that, so the false prophet got rich, promising the people that the day of the Lord was a day of light and joy, and there was nothing to worry about. Can I just tell you, not not much has changed. There are people today saying that everything's going to be all right, there's no need to worry. They're saying the church is going to slowly but surely possess the land and we'll finally arrive at a time when the kings and the presidents and the judges and the people in positions of authority are all going to be Christian believers promoting Christian values and our world will finally know peace and true prosperity and they make a big deal out of making sure that we vote the right way so we can get these people into office so these laws will be enacted I read something this week. This has nothing to do with this, but it just... Can I, can I take a quick rabbit trail? Will y'all be okay with that? Okay, I promise I'll get right back. I'll, I'll come right back. I won't go down the rabbit hole. I'll just take the little trail. The, I read something this week that just... It, I hadn't thought about it in these terms. You hear people all the time saying, Oh, God's laws are so strict, are so harsh. They're so difficult. You know, we can't keep God's laws... You know, we, we, don't, we don't need all this. Have you ever stopped to think about how many laws are on the books of our land right now, trying to keep people straight? God just gave us 10. <laughs> if you just keep 10, you're going to be okay. <laughs> but we have this mountain of laws, and we still can't keep people straight, right? Okay, enough of that. I, I, that. That may be a sermon somewhere down the line, but I just, it was just a nice little rabbit trail that I thought I'd run down. See, this idea of everything's going to be wonderful, it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Uh, but, but that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that there is coming an awesome, terrible day of the Lord in which the world is going to be judged. The message of the Bible is that there's coming a day in which the wrath and fury of a holy, righteous God is going to be poured out over the whole earth. That was the message of Isaiah. That was the message of Jeremiah, of Ezekiel, of Daniel, of Micah, of Amos, every true prophet of God. You know, Amos came to the people and said to them, you celebrate the day of the Lord. Don't you realize that the day of the Lord is a day of darkness? There's no light in it. For it's the day when God will speak in wrath and his anger will consume the planets. And his judgment will go forth and his violence will be seen in the streets. That's the message that rings out loud and clear from the book book of the Revelation. As the Spirit speaks to the church and says, unless you repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. You know, I I, uh, gave you an opportunity to submit ideas for sermons. And i would dare say i haven't done the exact math but just kind of a a cursory looking through them and and kind of putting them into piles probably 93 94 percent of you put something about you want something off of the book of the revelation you want to know about the end times you want to know what's coming about well here it is (laughs) no that's not it i'll i'll do i'll do more in depth i will tell you this when i actually spend time on that The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is throw everything that you think you know about it in the trash. But when you look into that book of the Revelation that talks so dramatically about the end of time, what you see is the judgment and the wrath of a holy God that has been horribly offended by sin. That's the message of the seals that are opened. That's the message of the trumpets that are sounded. That's the message of the vials that are poured out. It's the day of the Lord, a day of judgment, a day of wrath over all the earth. You wanna know something about the day of the Lord? Listen as the Lord speaks through the prophet. In Zephaniah chapter one, verses 17 and 18, he says, I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, aren't you glad you shouted earlier in the message? <laughs> this is why you must be saved. The day of the Lord is coming. It's a day of trouble. It's a day of distress, a day of destruction, a day of desolation, a day of darkness. You need to be saved from the wrath that is coming you know in the final analysis your greatest need isn't to be saved from dreaded disease it isn't to be saved from a pandemic it isn't to be saved from military conflicts it isn't to be saved from natural disasters it isn't to be saved from financial ruin (laughs) you need to be saved from God The wrath that is coming to this earth is God's judgment upon the earth. It is God's fury. It is God's wrath. There's only one way to be saved from this terrible wrath of God. It's what the Apostle Paul was writing in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He said, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, watch this, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You must be saved. You cannot save yourself, but God has provided a way for you to be saved. It's not trusting in anything you can do, anything you can earn or deserve. It's not trusting in any system or any tradition. It is solus Christus, through Christ alone. The offer is yours. You can be saved. All that that is needed is for you to believe and receive. Believe and receive. It's not your effort. Believe and receive. In 1829... A man named George Wilson robbed the United States mails and killed a person in the process. He was caught, found guilty, and sentenced to die for his crimes. Some friends intervened on his behalf and were able to speak to the President of the United States at that time, who was Andrew Jackson. President Jackson granted Wilson a pardon but when Wilson was notified, he refused to accept it. An appeal was sent back to President Jackson who turned to the United States Supreme Court for an answer. Chief Justice Marshall wrote the court's opinion which said in part, a pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends upon its acceptance By the person implicated. He went on and said, it is hardly to be supposed that a person under the sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon, but if it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must die. The sentence of death was carried out upon George Wilson, even though a pardon was lying in the sheriff's office. I tell you that to impress upon you this truth. You can't be in a right standing with God. You can't be pardoned unless you accept it. If you refuse, it is no pardon. The great creator of the universe has issued your pardon from sin through the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is the only one with the ability to pay the penalty for your sin. He is the exclusive Savior. Listen, listen, the Bible says that on that awesome, terrible day of the Lord, the day of his wrath, it says those who are not surrendered to Jesus will scream to the mountains to fall upon them and to the hills to hide them. They'll be looking for refuge from nature itself, saying, cover me, give me a shield. But those who have put their trust in Jesus, the Bible says, will be rejoicing. We'll be dancing and singing, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. That's because there's only one shield that can protect anyone from the wrath that is to come. It's the covering of the righteousness of Jesus. God provided a Savior, Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 asks a sobering question. How will we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, would you hear the words of our text one more time? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The poet was correct. The roads go in different directions. All roads do not lead to the same destination. There's only one path to heaven. There's only one way to escape the wrath of the Almighty. You must be saved. Only Jesus can save. Today is the day to put your trust in him. To surrender your life to him. No one has promise of tomorrow. What we have is today. Let's bow together, please. You know, as far as I know, anybody that comes to a worship service at 8.30 on a Sunday morning is saved. there's a possibility that there's somebody listening to this message either in-house or online and you have not yet surrendered your heart to Jesus. You're not saved. If you were to slip into eternity today, you would not be saved. You would be eternally lost. And so I'm praying that something in this message has spoken to your heart. But beyond that, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will make up for all of my inadequacies in presentation. And he will do what I cannot do. That is, he will bring conviction to your heart and that that conviction will draw you to a place of repentance. Jesus is calling you today He's calling you. For those of us that are saved, this message has just been an encouragement and a confirmation of what we know. We've already put our trust in Jesus. But for you, this message, if this message is true, this message ought to strike terror in the heart of that person who is not saved because the wrath of God is coming. I don't say that to rejoice in it. I say that, I say that with a broken heart because I do not want you to be lost. And the Lord has provided the means for you to not be lost but to be saved. So I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself in any way to me. I just am going to ask you you want to be saved as I pray this prayer make it your prayer and use this opportunity to surrender your heart to Jesus he will save you not just for time but for all eternity oh Lord I come to you today recognizing that I've not yet surrendered my heart to you Didn't even know that I needed to. Thought I was a pretty good person, but today I recognize the only way I can be saved is to trust Jesus and to surrender to him. So Lord, right now, in the quietness of my heart, with my own thoughts, even those thoughts that wrestle against it because I don't understand everything about it, but I simply embrace this truth That Jesus died for my sin and so I accept it I receive it I believe it and I ask you to forgive me not for my own sake not because I'm a good person not because I've done anything to, to deserve it but I ask you to apply the payment of Jesus on the cross to my sin and to transform my life from the inside out to conform to the image you've designed for me to be. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Turn upside down all of the things that try to to erect themselves as, as important to my life. Just turn them all upside down. Give me a new start with you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Right now, as much as I know how to do it, I surrender myself to you, Jesus, to follow you the rest of my days. Thank you, Lord. Amen.